You're listening to Return Again, the No Holds Barred podcast about the ins and outs and ups and downs of building a life in Israel with those who have been living in Israel long enough to have perspective. Today's guest is Yishai Fleischer. Yishai was born in Israel, the child of Jewish refuseniks from the Soviet Union. He grew up in the U.S. and then returned to Israel at 17 to serve in the IDF. He then went back to the U.S. for university and then, finally, returned to the land for good in 2003. Yishai and his wife Malka have three children and live in Efrat, a suburb near Jerusalem. Yishai has been a radio personality, writer, educator, and broadcast program director. But more than anything, to me, Yishai Fleischer is a spokesperson for the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. Today, he serves as international spokesperson for the community of Hebron, and that's where we're sitting today, in the Avraham Avinu neighborhood in the city of our forefathers, Hebron. Yishai, thank you very much for being with us to return again to your story. Goel, thank you so much for showing up here in Hebron, and it's great to see you. We haven't uh, worked together like this since our great days at uh, Israel National Radio. True. You had a great show there. It was called The Aliyah Revolution. That was a name that I came up with. Yes, it is. Uh, but if you would have told me back then about a name of a show, Return Again, I would have said that is a great name for a show. <laughs> great name for a show. Famous, of course, Loma Karlbach song, and then again uh, uh, done by his daughter. True. Sung, was it, what was her name? Neshama. Neshama Karlbach. That's right, Neshama Karlbach. And uh, that's great. Just one little correction. Um, you said a City of the Forefathers. Yes, that's true, but it's also city of the forefathers and mothers. And I am makpid. I, I take great care to, to, to make that point. And that's because the, one of the beauties of Hebron is that fathers and mothers came together to become a family and then give birth to a nation. Uh, and even uh, that was recognized 3,800 years ago when Abraham came to honor Sarah, to cry for her, and to eulogize her. So too 2,000 years ago when Herod, the Jewish king Herod, built this a monumental building on top of the tomb of the mothers and fathers. He made these cenotaphs or markers that are right across from one another, six of them, uh, one mother, one father, same size, same thing, equidistant. The whole idea of this like egalitarian, this, this equality, this, this, let's just put it simpler, the love. And, you know, there's a, a, a state in America called Virginia, and its tagline is, Virginia is for lovers. <laughs> and I would say Hebron. Hebron is for lovers. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's an important point that I like to make here. Uh, you know, fathers, that's like Mount Rushmore for American presidents. Uh, here it's mothers and fathers, and that's an important point. Yeah, and, and it's one of the things I love about speaking with you, um, even though so many of your ideas come from the sources, come from the sacred texts that we have, uh, you have an unbelievable way of communicating uh, these ideas in a way we've never thought of before. And so uh, you talked about going back 3,800 years to the, the, that original idea um, when, when Avraham bought this place for uh, the purpose of burying his wife, Sarah. <clears throat> but I want to go back, not that far. I want to start by going back to when Yishai Fleischer was a little kid um, living in the States as a, as a child. Maybe you can walk through a little bit of, let's talk about like up until you came back to Israel at 17. You were born here and then you went to the States and grew up there. Yeah, my first eight years of my life were the most formative years. So my time in Israel as, as a small child uh, was, was more impactful than the rest. So you were here until eight? Yeah, I was here until eight or almost nine. And that was like more, like that really formed who I was 
who I am today. And so I was born in Haifa to Russian parents, Russian refusing parents. That's very important to understand that because that's like a whole mindset and a whole like fight from the get-go uh, is how they saw the world. Um, this, it, it was like it, the, the, those years were, was, were years of Eretz Yisrael Ayafat. There was like something about the beautiful land of Israel. There was a concept here. Uh, and my parents were not observant, but they were strongly Jewish, strongly Zionistic. Uh, and they were also chemists, they were scientists, they were Russian. But at those times you learn Hebrew very quickly. Right. You know, they were also fighters. You know, my dad was uh, in the wars. Uh, Starting with which one? Well, he was in the, in the Lebanon War in 1982. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but he was in the army and there was always a gun in the corner of the house, <laughs> you know. That was like part of the ethos. And at the same time, um, while that translates today to people to think that's like very like angry and warlike, we had uh, we lived on the edge of an Arab village. Uh, well, it's an Arab neighborhood in Haifa called Kababir, right. and they th those that th that that family, the Uda family, were like my babysitters. Like I lived with the Arabs for for really a, a, a big chunk of my childhood. My parents were busy doing their thing, and that's sure. who my babysitters were. Like, I used to go down there. It was totally normal. It, was, it, it wasn't so normal for everybody else. Okay. Uh, but for my family, it was normal. First, uh, the, the Amna, the, the, the Arab woman, she was like, she would come to our house and watch me. But then it turned out not to be doable, and I would just go down after school and just live in that Arab, you know, Arab uh, neighborhood, which is really an Arab village, because that's how Arabs live. It's a village-like uh, thing. And that formed so much of my personality. Like, it's, it's hard to even explain it because it's so foreign to so many people. But living amongst Arabs and understanding their way, ways, their foods, their smells, the, the things that they do well, the things that they do less well, their family values, uh, that has, an, it has a deep impact. I spoke Arabic very well when I was a little kid. I don't remember Arabic so well today right. because when I moved to America when I was eight, like nine, it replaced it. English replaced English, it. English replaced it. I, and I had nobody to speak Arabic with. Uh, and, I, and my mind simply didn't have any more space. So it was just like, <laughs> you know, just the disc erased. But, um, uh, but that, that's, that's a big thing. And, and also, we would travel a lot. My parents were scientists and hard workers, but they were also quasi-hippies in the sense that we would go to the Sinai, ha live on the beach for a week and a half, two weeks at a time. Right. I'm not talking about in a, t in a hotel. I'm talking about in tents and stuff, sleep under the stars. That's the way it was. So, so, so that formed a lot of like a, like a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? A very uh, instinctual connection to the land, a very uh, basic fundamental. It doesn't have a lot of words. See, I don't even have a lot of words to describe it. It's just like, this is the good land. This is where we live. This is where we're, we're you know, we're connected to this place on a visceral level. Uh, but however, my, my parents ran into economic and other challenges of those times, sure. which today are less, uh, less, um, le less apparent in Israel. There, there are less of these type of economic challenges. Sure. Uh, but they had to leave. And they had to go to America and start their life. Israel was a much smaller, tighter, more controlled, less opportunities, time. And if it, if it didn't go, if it didn't click, you're, you could have been out. And so uh, my parents decided to go to America. And America... A massive country, as opposed to Israel, which is a small country. True. Uh, sometimes we don't understand how big of a deal that is. <laughs> like a big country with a big market, with you could go anywhere, with a whole system 
designed to help you succeed there because your success is my success. That's a very, very American ideal, which didn't exist at the time in Israel and still has a hard time taking root here. It's still sometimes a small country mentality, which no is question. if you succeed, somehow you're taken away from my pie. Okay, that's a socialist, small country way of thinking, as opposed to America, which is big borders, big things. Let's all shop. If we all shop, if we all do something, we'll all be, you know, uh, we'll, Everyone we'll benefits. succeed. Everybody right. benefits. So if you're doing good, it means I'm doing good. That's a very American ideal uh, and a beautiful one, and a beautiful one. Um, and and we're, see, we're seeing it more and more here. And we're seeing it more no and more. And, and one of the things maybe we'll get to later is that I believe that one of the most important things that has happened to Israel in the last 20 years has been globalization and taking part in globalization. And I have a, whole, I have a lot of stories about that. But the, the realization that Israel is no longer Israel. You don't work within these borders. These borders are where you keep Shabbos and where you hang out, where your kids go to school and, and, and where you drive and where you shop for food. But it's no longer the borders of, your, you know, of either your vacations or your professional work. It's no longer that. And, and I'm not talking about just us Anglos. I'm talking about regular Israelis who are either in multinational companies or flying everywhere or startups or just dealing with the world all the time. And it's just, it's just a globalized world. And Israel is natural it's a natural mode for Jews to be at home on Shabbos and then on Sunday or Monday to be in the world. That's just a natural mode for us. And that didn't exist. When I was in yeshiva, I had to airmail my family, you know, <laughs> uh, or, or, or wait, you know, to, to, for the AT&T operator to take. I, did, I had a card, an AT&T card. I had to dial a lot of numbers, but the phone, the orange phones, wouldn't take more than 20 digits. <laughs> so I had to call into the AT&T operator who would call my parents' line on this guy. It was like sure. a whole thing. Sure. You couldn't call on a cell yeah, phone yeah, yeah. to you okay. to America. Hold, hold on. We're, we I'm can just go saying, on and on and on. Right, I'm just so, saying that, 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 that Israel today is, my parents had to leave because of that. That was it. So let's, so you're eight years old or nine when nine. you Nine. The hardest thing I ever did in my life, and I, and I dealt with an injury in the army, and I dealt with my father's death, and a million other things. Yeah. The hardest thing that I did in my life was to leave Israel at the age of eight and a half, nine. Okay. You remember the day? I don't remember the day, but I remember... You remember the time. I remember the time, certainly I do, yeah. What went through your mind? Were you like, I'm, that's it? it was, that's I was, it for my I, Israel experience? I, I, was, I was eight or nine, and I, you know, I don't know about that. But I, didn't, yeah. I do know that I knew that I was giving up things that I understood and felt, and I, and I felt already socially understood and socially like in the right place. Right. As a young, as sure, a young you boy, a I, I had a place, I had a voice, and I had a thing, and I and I had where I lived. Now, where I lived in Haifa was one of the most beautiful places in all of Israel to this very day. It's just a gorgeous place with a view on the sea from a lot of places. The mountain, the Carmel Mountain, overlooks the sea in like three yeah. directions. It's really something very beautiful. Probably underrated. No, it's it, they keep it quiet on purpose. Those guys, they Smart. really do. They really do. It's like the Greek islands. That's what it's like. It's like it's just gorgeous out there, and that's where I lived. Uh, and then my parents and I like knew that I wanted to be in the Navy. Interesting. Any other thoughts on, on uh, the feelings that, that you had back then? And, and um, how did your parents frame the whole thing? Were they like, we're on to a better place? Were they just like, this is what we have to do? Do you remember any of that? Sure. Well, first thing I want you to know that my hair started falling out when I was... Uh, Literally? Like, yeah. Okay. Like hair, clumps of hair yeah, would fall out. It was such a stressful thing for me right. as a young person. I remember that very well. I was cool in Israel. Suddenly I was not cool. 
And I, I, it took me all the way to high school to be cool again. <laughs> I was weird. Israelis who move to the States have a tough time being cool. Uh, of course. Yeah, tough, of course. Like, cucumber just, and cream cheese sandwich doesn't do it. Right, in, and in weird America. hair, big hair, big curly <laughs> hair, and the whole thing. And yeah. it was just a different, it was a different thing altogether. Plus, my parents didn't move into like a solid Jewish uh, town like Teaneck or, or something like that. We, we moved for a year to Passaic. Then we moved to Way, New Jersey, which was not... Wow. Not there was nobody to really get close to. My parents weren't thinking like that so much. Uh, my parents were great parents, and I'm very thankful for them. And they're you know, and to this day, my father passed away, but you know, my mom. I'm very very close to my mom, uh, and I'm very only thankful to them. But when it came to this, they weren't they weren't thinking about the consequences that that that, that I uh, was going to face. Uh, but you know how it is, Hashem. Uh, th- through the through the tribulations, you become tougher. Um, you know, things were shocking. For example, winter. You know, it's a, you know, in, in Haifa, yeah. you know, there's, there's cold, For but sure. there ain't no snow. You know <laughs> what I mean? Certainly not three feet of snow right. or two or two meters of snow. You know, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about northeast winters. Oh, I like those, you know, those were, those were actually fun, you know, or, or little things that you take for granted, like squirrels. Some squirrels in Israel and suddenly see a little, this little furry rat running around, you know. Um, uh, but, but it was tough years. It was those were tough years for me. Grade school were tough years, and high school, I um, was always a good-hearted kid. Were you in a public school or a Jewish oh, school? Oh, well, that's a big part of the story, isn't it? That really, what happened was, is that through miracles um, and through good people, yeah. especially in Passaic, New Jersey, um, great my, my, yeah, and my parents were, shall we say, the hand of God and and good people forced. My parents to send me to Jewish school. As I said before, my parents were very Jewish. They were never anti-Jewish. Right, sure. And so they accepted that idea. But it was like so- suddenly to accept this cost and the thing and, the, and you know, and, and from education as opposed to Israeli education, religious education. Yeah. Uh, but very soon after that, you know, the pull of Yiddishkeit, Judaism, began to pull at me. And I... And I and I and I brought them with I you. brought it I brought it into the family and, and my family being very Jewish people, uh, it came naturally to them, uh, so they never they never uh, resisted, and uh, and uh, we did whatever we could and later on my parents then started going to Rabbi Yudin Rabbi Benjamin Yudin's classes in Fairlawn right. and I would walk on Shabbos without exaggeration three and a half miles, uh, in Wayne to get to the Chabad house of of Wayne New Jersey. Really, uh, Rabbi Gurkhoff. This is how when you were how old? Uh, Twelve, thirteen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I, and I'm so, talking, I'm talking long, long walks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes long cold walks. Yeah. Sometimes long hot humid walks. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, so, so you get to Passaic, you're nine. Yeah. You're there for a year. Right. But that year, it's during that year that you start going to a Jewish school. And then yeah. you stay in a Jewish school the whole way, yeah, even yeah. after you moved to Wayne. Yes, yes. I went to HYA, which then then, then started become, being called JKHA. Hebrew Youth Academy became Joseph Kushner Hebrew Youth Academy or J- J- Youth Academy, okay. whatever. And, okay. uh, or Hebrew Academy, Joseph Kushner Hebrew Academy. Kushner as in Kushner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's New Jersey. That's New Jersey for you. That's, it was in West Caldwell. Then it later moved to Livingston, but I was always in West Caldwell. And we bust. We bust from Wayne. Yeah, we bust from Wayne. Yeah, um, and then that was that was grade school. Uh, again, tough years for me. And then high school. 
Um, but, but at the same time, in grade school, I have to pause and say there were people, there were people along the way, teachers. So like, 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 like Rabbi, uh, don't make me like choke up about this stuff because these people are like incredible people. But like uh, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi, he was named used to be Paul, but he became Reuven Greenberg from Winnipeg, Canada. Yeah. Uh, was just an incredible Rebbe, incredible. It was such a ahava, such a ahava, such a special guy. Uh, he almost played for the Winnipeg Jets. He was really? a secular Jew, an incredible athlete, an incredible athlete, and became a Rebbe from Winnipeg. And uh, and uh, he was he was an incredible inspiration in my life. This is many, what, this, uh, is, like this like is in grade school. Yeah, in grade school, uh, and others and others, and I could name more and more and more. There's so many people along the way. Rabbi Benisti and Rabbi Is he Reifman. still around? Yes, he is. We're in touch. He's still in New Jersey. Yes, he still teaches at the same place. He's still he's still. Uh, and uh, and then and then I went to high school and then I went to Frisch, right? Uh, which was not the Frisch of today. Today it's like this Uber school of like awesomeness and technology yeah. and like all everything has become very um, like it jumped many levels <laughs> since, since since I was there as a kid. You know now today it's very what's the word where something gets like fancy uh, gentrification. It's okay. been very gentrified. And the schools have become very, very top schools. You're saying it was more humble back yeah, then. It was more humble. It was more simple. It was more like, okay. Community, you know, Jewish high school. Yeah, yeah. And there were good kids and there were not such good kids, but we were <laughs> Jewish, you know. Uh, I went to JK, uh, to, to Frisch. I went to Frisch. Um, and it was good. And I met a lot of good guys there. And some of those guys are famous people today, like Rabbi Judah Michel. Really? Rabbi Mo Kaplan uh, and, and others. Um, and many of my uh, high school classmates live in Israel today. Not many, many, but quite a bit, quite a bit, quite a bit. In fact, I just bumped into one of the girls that was in my class, in my Gemara class, sure. and she's got seven kids, lives in Avey Daniel. So, so good <laughs> stuff. So, uh, but, but, senior, but junior year, at the end of junior year, I was like, I got to bust out of here. I got to bust to Israel? I got to get I gotta out of high school. Of I got to get out of this high school because it's going to take me in a bad way. And I gotta and I gotta do what my blood is calling me to do, which is to go to Israel. And through totally in unexplainable siyata deshmaya, I got to one of the top yeshivas in Israel. Uh, I was a good student, but not like the greatest student in high school. You know, it's a good, a fine student, but I've had other things in my mind. And but I got to yeshivat Maleh Dumim, Birkat Moshe yeshivat Maleh Dumim, and uh, this was Rabbi Ravinovich, Rav Sabato. And others, and I mean, I mean, talk about a cultural shock again. I mean, holy moly, just like landing from <laughs> America to like this hazard, this whole culture that I never knew because That's I wasn't, I didn't grow up in that culture either in America or in Israel. So this was like a whole, it's a, a whole subset of society, the religious Zionist world and the Rav Cook world, the whole thing. And, uh, and it was, um, again, on the one hand, it was, it was just very beautiful. Now, this yeshiva did not embrace the uh, the chutznikim, the uh, the Americans. It just it had no it had, it had like ten chutznikim, yeah. ten outsiders, and the rest were like totally regular Israelis. And it was just not set up. It was not Hakotel. It was not the Gush. It wasn't the KBY. It wasn't OJ. To, yeah. It was it wasn't one of these places. It just did not understand the needs and the plights. And, this, and the psychology. Now, the good part of it is that you got in to Israeli society big time. Well, it, hold on a second. But yeah. you're, you're saying Siyata Dishmaya, da, 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 whatever, but like, I don't want to say whatever about Siyata Dishmaya, but like, you did have to make a decision. 
Like, it wasn't just like you got off the plane and you're like, well, I don't know, I guess I'll go to Mount no, no, Abu no, no, Like, no, no, there no. must have been a process for you. I didn't. I didn't not mean to say that. Uh, I just. I just wanted to shortcut the narrative. But if you want me to to, to break it down a little bit, um, I want to understand. I why wanted. You specifically I wanted to get out of high school because I felt suddenly I had a few experiences. Uh, now high school is when you can go bad. No question. High school are the years. No question. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, people yeah. think high school are kids. No, no, no. That's the years where you like can go wild. Like sixteen is the potentially <laughs> wildest year of your life. And, and Don't I was, tell me that. I have a son yeah. who's about to turn 16. Well, it depends on where he is in track, <laughs> but I was like, there was a place in me that like was like a call to, you know, to be wild, you know what I mean? And, and, I, and, I, and I took that. <laughs> I, I took that train, and that, that train was dangerous, and I, and I woke up in a, in, in a dangerous situation, and, a, and, a, and I looked around my surroundings, and I got myself to safety, whatever it is, and I, and I was like, you know what? Like, something's got to change. And I stopped talking to all of my troublesome friends. And I took, uh, God bless them, they're all good people. You right. know what I mean? And they're all doing well today, thank God. They're all, you know. This but, is in a Jewish school environment. Yeah, but Jewish kids are no, no, wild. I understand. Jewish, I understand. That, you know, I never think that Jewish people are like, you know, these like, you know, Jew, when, Jew, when Jews go wild or bad, they go nuts. You know what I mean? They can go <laughs> totally nuts. And, and, and here's the bottom line I wanted to leave. I wanted to, I, I understood through thinking about it that I was meant to do better, bigger things. Right. You know what I mean? Maybe, I, I really don't know how to explain it, but people, some people have, I had, a, I had a sense of self-worth, and I was like, I wanted to do something better with my life. And I, I realized that I wanted to learn Torah. And I, re, and I always, and you could always, something that I didn't say before, which is, when we were leaving at the age of eight, I went upstairs to my neighbors and I said, I will be back for the army. I will okay. be back for the army. That was like a thing for me. I that knew. you remember. I always that was like a thing for me. Like when I was a little kid. Here's another thing. What day was I born? I was born on the 26th of June, 1976. Wow. Which happens to be the bicentennial of the U.S., but it also happens <laughs> to be the day that the Entebbe plane was taken. Yeah. And my Brit Milah was on the day that it was rescued. I I have a feeling that the, that week was filled in this country with prayer, trepidation. And that day of the rescue was such a... They hadn't seen a miracle like that since the Six-Day War. Correct. And it was just like, oh, wow. Now, that was when I was just... Coming onto the scene. Yeah, coming onto the scene. And <laughs> I, I, I have a feeling that that stuff radiated into my consciousness. And so, uh, and that's the day of my brief meal is this day of, of this, this, this great rescue. So, uh, so consciously you, or unconsciously. Did you just celebrate a birthday or is it coming up? I just celebrated. Your Hebrew. Yeah. The, the, the oh, 28th of, 20th, thank you, 28th of, uh, of Sivan. So, so, I think that that had an impact on me, on my, on my psyche. And yeah. so, I always knew that, like, I'm supposed to go, you know, to the army and, and to do that. That was like a thing that I was supposed to do. And I always knew that. And I, I was... When I went to the army in March of 95, my high school and the people there, they didn't understand what's going on. How could it be that one of our kids is going to the army? Back then, that was an impossible belief. They later made a dinner, and I was one of the stars of the video. Really? They were like, one of our boys went to the army. It was unheard of at the time. It's like going to Israel to learn was already was becoming a, that was more acceptable. Yeah, that was a thing already. But, but, to, but the to, army, to, to the army, like... Who heard of such a thing? Right. Today, I was a chayal boded when, 
what what that meant that term meant was you were a chayal boded. Okay, okay, That's, it was, alone. Right, it wasn't, <laughs> Not it wasn't alone, a legal term. Alone. Right? It was a descriptive term. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's what it meant. And you were like doing your own laundry and whatever. You know what I mean? And there was, you know, there were a lot of kind people along the way. There really were. Um, but, you know, it was totally shocking at the time. Um, and and that, was, that was something that was a calling of the blood. So in, in, at 17, when I left my senior year, I went to, to Rabbi Meyer. Rabbi Meyer was the principal of the school. And I said okay. to him, he d- it was famous that he did not release you early to skip ah, senior year. And I said okay. to Rabbi Meyer... Right, because th- there's a whole thing with Yeshiva University, for example. Right. They let you skip the senior year to, exactly. to get started in Israel thing. and the whole thing. Yeah, it was yeah. a whole th- well, that's exactly what happened, yeah. actually. And so I said to him, Rabbi Meyer, <laughs> I need to go. Like, yeah. I, this is not good for me. I need to go to learn. And you got to release me. And he goes, okay, Isha Yaakov, okay. He always knew everybody's second name. He also used to tell us, what's today's date? And we uh, tell him, and he, he'd be like, "No, today's Chav Chetzivah." You know? right, right. Uh, uh, and so he said, "Okay," and he let me go. He let me go. He let me go to my senior year to to Israel, uh, and then I stayed. I was there. I was in Israel for four years. I was in Israel for four years. Uh, in uh, in my when I when we when I was I became a, a paratrooper, and um, and um, and when we were in Lebanon, because we were still in Lebanon back then. One day, uh, there was a, uh, a spotting of these side roadside bombs. Okay. And so what happened was is that the bomb squad was called in to neutralize these bombs. Sure. But they needed, in order to go into the territory, <clears throat> they needed somebody to protect them while they were doing their work. So we were sent in. I was supposed to go on vacation that day. We, we were sent in. And instead, it was the, uh, my vacation was delayed. We were sent in to surround them and give circumference or all some kind of perimeter defense, yeah, perimeter yeah. defense, perimeter defense. That's right. And um, uh, and they were shooting uh, at the bombs with a, something called a Barrett a Barrett uh, uh, sniper gun, which is this giant gun that shoots Browning huge. I think it's called .5 millimeter. Like these big, huge bullets. Many years later, I met Mr. Browning, the owner of that really? gun factory, yeah, in, in an airport in Germany. In any case, um, I told him about this, this story. In any case, they were shooting at it. As they shot at one of the bombs, suddenly, as they shot at one of the bombs, another bomb that was much closer to me went off because it was somehow tied in. Right. Or at least that's the theory. In any case, yeah. suddenly, like a, a ball bearing that was buried in the bomb sure. uh, entered into my shoulder blade uh, and knocked out the usage of my arm and basically knocked me on the floor, knocked me on my tuchas. And then I got up. My arm was like lifeless kind of. Yeah. And I went to my commander and I said to him, listen, something happened. And, he, and, and I, was about, I was about to pass out. I was, my blood was, I could feel it draining out of my brain. <laughs> and he wow. says to me, he says to me, looks like you're going on that vacation after all. <laughs> and that made me laugh just like you laughed. Right. And, uh, and the blood came back and... Uh, you know, more stuff happened there. Just, just kind of to tell you, like the depth of stories. Like, there was a, there was a, there was a doctor there that was from the frogman unit. Kind of a very, but he was so full of himself, and he looked at me and he said, "There's nothing there," because the wound closed. It was a ball bearing, so the wound sure. closed around it. Yes, it didn't get wider. It got like it shrunk around it. And then came a guy, who was the commander of the regional, the regional commander. This regional commander's name is Amos, 
And this guy was from Sayeret Matkal, from Israel's top uh, uh, unit. Right. And, uh, and he had been kicked out of that unit because two of his guys got dried up and died in the hills of a lot on training. Wow. But... Okay. So he lost that position as right. commander of Sayeret Matkal. But he was the now, point is, he certainly was talented. He was a top dude. And <laughs> yeah. he came in, and he had eyes like a wolf. He had these wolf, gray-blue eyes. He's like scary to look at. Yeah. And he came in holding his gun up like this. I remember the jeep came in and came in like this. And he looked at me, and I remember he said, he goes, Pinoy, which means, uh, meta, you know, vacuum, medevac him out of here. Get him out of here. Yeah, get him out of here to the hospital. And the doctor's like, he's got... The guy looked at him with those wolf eyes. He's like, Pinoy. Wow. That's what he said to him. And under x-ray, they saw a big ball bearing jammed in the uh, in the thing, the doctor didn't catch it. The doctor was wrong. And there was a big fat ball bearing, which they had to remove. Any case, that bullet though was a magic bullet for me. Remember the magic bullet from uh, from Kennedy, right? Yeah, yeah. With the whole thing, it's yeah, like this sure. bullet traveled like this, like this, like this. <laughs> yeah, sure. For me, it was a magic bullet because it totally knocked me out of my pathway here in Israel. I thought I was going to stay in the army and go to a higher command and that whole process. And I had a girlfriend and a whole thing. And it was going a certain way, and then it got boom, knocked out. And that bullet caused me to have to leave my unit for a long time. And then when I came back, it wasn't the same. And we didn't have the same relationship, and it wasn't smooth anymore. Right. And I didn't go out for, for, for officers training because I didn't get along with my commanders, the whole thing. And, and I broke up with my girlfriend. And, that, and, I was a, and, and, and then the army finished. When the army finished, it was very hard. One of the hardest things, second hardest thing in my life was the end of the army. Very tricky moment. And I want you to know as a dad, you got guys in the army, right? I do. Uh, giving back, if you're, like, if you're that type, giving back your gun and giving back your uniform, giving back your wings right. and giving back your boots and giving back your uh, purpose, because it's a very clear purpose when you're in the army. Sure. You know what you're doing and you got that mitzvah all over for you. You think tits are good? This thing is like... <laughs> Sits on steroids. You know you're a Jew in the Hebrew army defending the Jewish people, and you know what you got to do, and people respect you for it. And you got a thing, and you got a gun. And this gun is a big, powerful thing. And it's like, whatever, you know, you can make fun of it if you want, but like, it's, no, it's, it's a full it's identity. It's a full yeah. identity. And, and they, you know, it's like Shawshank Redemption, you know. They tell you when to eat, and they tell you when to sleep, and you're like, your whole identity is complete. And then giving that back, and then becoming the zhlub, going back to civil society and trying to figure out who you are and what you are and get ahead and all that. Uh, so that was very tricky. And I fell into a depression. At the very same time, Rav Sabato, Rabbi Sabato was teaching Kohelet. And I was going to his classes, bad move. Because the Kohelet <laughs> yeah, yeah. and the leading the army spun me it into a fed, mental... Fed it. Right. It fed the depression. <laughs> it was bad. And he goes, at the beginning, I remember he goes, he goes, you won't believe me, but for some people this could cause depression. He said to us, and it caused me, it, it sent me into a tizzy. How uh, old are you at this point? Uh, I guess I must have been 20. Okay. Still Around 20, yeah, around 20, or, yeah, now, yeah, 20. Do you still feel the boded part of, of your life in Israel? Like, are you alone at this point? Or have you built more of a, yeah. of a social network for yourself and you have your friends and well, you have a place? There's a good side to knowing how to be boded. You know what I mean? Sure. It's like it's like Siddhartha says, you know, like, he says, you know, I know how to think, I know how to fast, I know how to 
wait. You know, it's like there's something about about being able to 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 be on your own, which yeah. is a very powerful thing. But no, I have a wife. I have children. You know, and I have good friends. I keep up with my no, good no, friends. No, no, I'm talking about back then when you were 20. Oh, when I was, oh, when back 20, then. Oh. Are you still both? Well, you're oh, in the yeah, yeshiva at this even point. Even worsely bodhead. Oh, my gosh, it was so bodhead. It was, it was a tough time. It was like post an injury, post a direction into, uh, into, into, into the, you know, IDF, this, this clarity. Yeah. It was a, it was a rough moment. Wow. My parents weren't here. My girlfriend broke up with her. The army thing didn't work out. And inside, I felt like I'm supposed to do good things, but like it was just like it, it was as though things had run out. The yeshiva world, I I had lost the the the, the zest, for, the zest yeah. for it, and it was a tough time. It was a tough time, and 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 there was still always there's always good people along the way. There's still always good friends, but uh, but it was a it wasn't a beautiful time for me. And then came my father, and he says to me, Ishai, you haven't been home in four years practically. You have a sister or brother that's growing up without you. Come back home. You're the oldest. I'm the oldest. Okay. Now, I made a big mistake, though, strategically, which I didn't tell them what happened to me until later. My mom was very angry at me later on, and I teach this to my children as well. My mom said to me, you made the wrong choice, she said to me. You thought you were protecting me. It's like, but you took away my right to be a mom, well, she said to me. She said, that was a mistake on your part. That's, that's Russian style she, talking. I was going to say, does she have a Russian accent That's a Russian style that? talking. Yeah, it's a Russian, it's a Russian it style talking. It must be talking. even stronger with the Russian yeah, accent, Yeah, it's, right? it's there's, like, there's very... Uh, um, ethics yeah. are strong, like that, like in ethical decisions and that kind of thing is a right. big thing. So anyway, so so but it's but it's it's it's, wise. it's great, but it's an it's intense. Yeah, yeah, she she taught me a lesson. She taught me a lesson, and now by the way, I never hide like like if something's going on, I never believe in not telling older people or old people their situation or anything like that. Tell them the truth. Give them the dignity of being a human being to right. the very end. Yeah. And that's what my mom taught me in my own mistake. But when my father came and saw really what was going on, he told me, listen, it's time for you to come back home. Maybe consider coming back home. And I saw that I needed a change. And the Kodesh Baruch again said to me kind of through different ways. And I bumped into a friend of mine named Mordechai Fishman, who was my colleague in Yeshivat Malad Dumim. And he said, listen, next year I'm going to YU. And I said to him, I'm thinking about going to YU. He's like, YU also. He said, let's be roommates. And we became roommates. We were roommates for the next five years or six really? years yeah, at Yeshiva University. Uh, we moved to an apartment there, and I moved back to America. Yeah. And I moved to the great New York City. Okay? Yeah. New York. As America as it gets for a Jew. Well, um, New York is New York is Nueva York. You know, it's like its own thing. <laughs> it's New York. I think New York used to be at least, and maybe still is, but like it's a an incredible place. Yeah. You know, it's New York. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a big fan. Uh, still am to this day. I still love... Today I have discovered also Brooklyn, which I didn't know back then, and I happen to love Brooklyn. I just love it there. I love going there. It's really a fun place for me. It just, it just make. I love the multi. Like, like as much as I'm a nationalist, yeah. in my land when I'm there, I feel that that multicultural awesomeness. Okay, I was going to get to this later, but we may as well we may as well hit it now. I think you're the one who told me one time that New York. Is like the black Spider-Man suit. Are you are you the one who told me that? I it could be. I don't remember that one. Let's go. What was the idea? <clears throat> the black Spider-Man suit is the suit. I think it's in Spider-Man Three. Right, right. Where it gives him an additional sort of edge to him, which actually gives him additional powers. 
but that edge sort of makes them kind of nasty. It makes them dark. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that being in New York makes you dark. The, the, the hop on the black suit is, once it's on, he has to work really hard to pull it off of him. Mm. He can't just take mm. the black one off. Mm. And you told me one time that when you go to America, it's like the black suit. Like, it's tough to leave America because it's just so much fun and so big and anyway. I don't have that feeling anymore. Okay. Uh, and that's because I don't have any family there. And so I go there to work. Yeah. Um, and um, it used to tug at me more, uh, but that stopped. And I'm thankful for that. Hmm. Uh, I'm thankful for that. Partially it stopped because I prayed about it. Uh, partially it stopped because I philosophized through it. I have, I have developed a very robust philosophical uh, approach to how to deal with America. You have a new relationship with America. Yes. A different relationship. Yes. That's come through years of, 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 uh, of dealing with the America-Israel divide, that, that thing. You know, the exile Jew, the, 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 the diaspora Jew, the right. Yosef Jew versus the Yehuda and Israel Jew. And that tension between these two communities, uh, it really used to be a thing that used to like cause me to really have, a, have to like always sit down and deal, understand what am I doing here in America and how, yeah. how, do I, how do I deal with these big houses and these big communities and these nice things that they have. Today, I don't have that same, I don't have that struggle. And through, partially through prayer and partially through um, a, a, like, a, like a much more robust philosophical understanding that I've come to, and so I deal with it very well. Uh, I'll get to that in just a second because that's part of my, like later on, as being a fundraiser here in Hebron, right? Uh, it, it it became a, a, a it's a I, big I see, part of your life now. It's a big part of my life, and I get to see even a, a different America that I never saw, uh, and I get to meet great people, really successful people, which is a lot of fun. Right. And there's a lot to learn from them. Um, Let's go back to why. Yeah, but why you? So why you? Now why you? What was why you for me? In many ways, why you was every I became. I became what I wasn't in high school. I was distracted in high school. But after the army, I came in with a voracious hunger for learning. Really? And I was a stellar student at YU. First thing, I just never missed a class. All the classes were in the afternoon. So my, my point was, no matter how much you party, no matter what, what you do, <laughs> at one o'clock you're in class. Yeah. And come on, one o'clock. <laughs> I mean, so it's not, not so- Not too much not to too ask. Bad. Yeah. So all I did was I would go and I would listen. Yeah. That's what I would do. I would listen in class. I would pay attention in class. There was no cell phones. Right. So I just paid attention in class. <laughs> That's what I did. And I did very well. I did very, very well in, in my, in my uh, college. I graduated at the top of the class. And, uh, and it, just, it, was, it was just a great... Uh, and I was involved in all the honors stuff. And there was tons of fabulous educational opportunities there for a guy like me. For many people, it wasn't like that because they weren't seeking it out. But for if you saw if you sought it out, yeah. there was an amazing interchange when when an English professor would teach you something about Talmud, and a Jewish professor would teach you something about biology, and a Torah professor would teach you something about Shakespeare, and and there was this there was an amazing intellectual atmosphere if you sought it out. Right. And there was a group of of students and teachers who got it and who understood that Yeshiva University, beautiful like world of, of, of thoughts and issues that you could, that you could always um, mix and, 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 and learn about. And it was New York and it was 
it were beautiful years of knowledge. So I really studied a lot. I really did. I really learned a lot. I was, I, I was very studious. And your, I also, your degree is what? Well, I started in English. Okay. And and I had to quit English lit because it was too easy. It was too much fun to read a book and talk about it. It was just too. It wasn't challenging enough. And I was like, I was like, I could do this in my spare time. This is this is great. This is the best fun in the world. And I, and and the teachers loved me. The whole thing was great. But I had to quit. And then I found a, a passion of my life, which is I went to poli sci. Right. And then I was like, wow. I was like, this is awesome stuff. Yeah. This is awesome. And I had Professor Bevan, who was the chair of the poli sci department, and we took classes like postmodernism, postmodernism. Right. It was incredible. It was just so interesting. And I got to write whatever the hell I wanted. <laughs> and, and the teachers loved it. It was just great. And, and I learned to write, and I learned that I love writing. And I also worked through Siata the Shema. I worked in the newspaper, The Commentator, through my friend Mordechai Fishman and later uh, uh, Noah Streit and Alex Trayman, and got into newspaper writing, got into article writing. So college in America did what college in America is supposed to do That's for right. me, which is be college. The only difference was I was 21 and not 18. Okay, I came in after having partied and after been in the army and after being injured and, and, having, and being depressed and then wanting to be there i was not skimping on my classes that's I right wanted, it worked in your favor and, and i was such an sob i i took only the classes <laughs> that i wanted and i just i went to the administration i'm like i don't want to waste my time with this i want this class that's what i want to take they're like okay 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 really i took i took no guff i took only the classes wow. that i wanted i got out of all these things that i didn't want to take and just was like interesting a, yeah the only thing i regret the only thing i regret uh, goel is that i did not understand back then the business school i did not understand economics, and I didn't understand that there was a business school called the School, Sysim School of Business, right. and I did not, and I must say at the time, I must have been a little bit haughty about it and a little looked down at it. It was very stupid of me because I did not understand how important uh, uh, finances, business, and the whole business thing is, and I didn't have that Jewish plug-in. A lot of the Jewish kids that I knew did, Yeah, and that's where they came from. Yeah, sure. But I didn't come from that. Right. I came from Soviet scientists, <laughs> right. okay? I didn't know. That this other stuff is important, maybe more important than all of the stuff that I was studying. I did not understand that, truthfully. And I make sure to let my kids have much more exposure to that. Yeah. I still think that schools don't teach enough about, about basic finances and, and certainly high finances. So I wish I would have taken more financial classes, more and more, all the stuff related to marketing and finance, which I did not take. All my marketing knowledge is, you know, and I know, you know, you're, you're, you're in marketing, that's, that's what you're doing, and PR marketing, like, and finances, and, and I, I wish I would have taken those, but I took schools in, this, in the Bells School of Music, and I took voice cantillation there, wow. and I took, I took whatever I wanted to. It was, just, it was just a great fun. But at the la towards the last year of, of college, I was like, so Jews think that they're home here? And this is during your last year. Last, towards the last year, and I was like, where's, I mean, New York's great, but... You don't mean to think that this is the final thing on the thing. Do you? you don't think this is the final stop on the train, do you? And I was like, whoa, these people really do all around me believe that this is where we're doing. As good as it gets. Doing. Yeah. Right? This is what we're, or this is what we're supposed to be doing. This is it. And Israel's this nice thing. Nice thing. Now, that's later on, my wife Malka will teach, will, will have taught me that there's a difference between what we, she, she distinguishes between pro Israelism and Zionism. Pro-Israelism being the, I support that thing. I vote for Israel. Yes, Israel. I'll march for you. Thumbs up, Israel. Right. That's not Zionism. 
Zionism is the yearning to build the Jewish state. It's a different, it's a different shvung, different, different. It's a different zach, different, different energy, different ways. She taught you that, or she articulated. She, she articulated that 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 distinction. It's a uh, great later distinction. On. It's huge, huge. It's a great distinction. It's so important. There's pro-Israel and there's Zionism. Those are not the same. They may be related. They may overlap, but they're not the same. And the, the, when you walk down uh, Fifth Avenue on the Israel Day Parade, most people there are pro-Israel, which is great. Which is we love beautiful. Them. We love them absolutely, <laughs> uh, but that's not Zionism. Okay, the Zionism don't wear that. That that's a cloak of pride, which yeah. you decide that you want to help build the Jewish state. Right. It's like it's like Mati Dan says. Uh, he yeah. says he says some people dream of building Jerusalem. What does he say? Some people dream of Jerusalem. Some people dream of building Jerusalem. Some people build Jerusalem. Something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, Just to clarify for the listeners, Mati Dan, the, the founder of Aterikonim, the Jerusalem Reclamation Project. Very important project in the old city of Jerusalem. Yeah, and, out, and right outside as well right. there. And the, right. uh, buying up Arab properties and settling in tough places. Yeah. In any case, uh, he, has a, he says it better. He's got a lot of great one-liners. So, so, you're, so you're finishing Yeshiva University and you're like, I'm, I want more than this. I don't want to just like live a nice life in America. And, and it sounds to me like you're hinting at like, Maybe this is the beginning of Yishai Fleischer, the activist, trying to maybe educate other people about this as well. No? That's, that's exactly right. Okay. And that's exactly so correct. Let me talk about that. And well, that, that's when wherever I am now starts, which is that... Uh, Yishai Fleischer 2.0. Yeah. It started, it started, an activism bug started coming into me. Like a, like a yearning to uh, defectuate the world. Right. And, and especially towards Israel, towards building Israel, towards making Israel what it's supposed to be. And the first thing I realized is, like, why are these people that I'm with, I mean, America is great. But, again, it's like, we have a homeland. That's the time that we're living in. It was obvious to me. Without Rough Cook, without all that stuff, it's just obvious to me. And it still is obvious to me on a visceral level, not, not, without much need of a lot of intellectualism to understand that we're living in the time of the third commonwealth, the great revelation of the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel. And we're building a Jewish state, which is the greatest project of the Jewish people in 2,000 years. Now that's, to some people, that's, that's a big surprise. To me, that was like pshita. It's like simple. Right. And, uh, and or, or not simple, but obvious. And like, and like, sometimes I give people tours. I say to them like, I allow you now to say wow. <laughs> okay. Please say wow. People say wow. Because go, it is wow. Right. Like be wowed. You know, permission yeah. to be wowed. Permission to permission wow. granted. Right. <laughs> like, like go for it. Like feel the wow. You know who's good at that? Gentiles, goyim, they're good at that. They're good at being like, oh my God, I can't believe it. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Feel it. What do you think it is that keeps, that keeps Jews from having that perspective? Well, one, one is that Jews are used to miracles a little bit. And so, uh, you know. <laughs> you know, of you know, the the grandson asks the grandfather who went through the Holocaust, he said, uh, he says, Grandpa, you believe in God? Do you believe in God? Because the grandfather says, after what he did to us, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, you know, Jews are used yeah. to miracles, A. Jews are also defensive a lot of times, meaning to say they will defend their bourgeois. And I don't mean bourgeois in a negative sense. I just mean they defend what they've achieved and they will not like break it down so simply and wherever they're safe, that's a big thing for them. Uh, and Jews, um, 
you know, that's what called the defect is about. It's it's like there's a, there's sometimes a lack of like wow, and there's something very like sometimes we like get into a groove. We have our rabbi, we have our mikvah, we have our sheikhed, we have our school. Uh, that's it. You know, man? work it now. Yeah. You know, and and yeah. and especially after the Holocaust and stuff like that. But on the other hand, it's it's of course a mistake not to yeah. be wowed. Plus, Israel has a way of also sending you all kinds of uh, ways to be cynical about it. Right? There's always like, it's dangerous, you can't make money, and a million other things, and the Israelis, and the driving. And so right. there's, a, there's a million things for you to, to, to allow your Yetzirah to be like, nah. So you're, you're starting to promote this in right. your senior year of college. And, yeah, towards and what, are the, year. what are your colleagues at Yeshiva University doing in response? What's happening? Is it, is it catching on? Like, are you, you finding know, momentum? You know, it was really, it was really unbelievable. Really, first thing we started an organization out of nowhere, and that organization's name was Kuma. I came up with that name. Kodesh Baruch put that in my head, which means it means arise. Yeah. And Kuma is like a weird word. It's like sounds like it's like African sounding. You know, it's like Kuma. It's not like <laughs> like Kumbaya. Yeah, it's like or, or, you know, it's like some kind of, you know, it's it's not like a regular Jewish sounding thing. It's not Moriah. You know what I mean? Moriah or something. It's Kuma, and it just means arise. It stood for also in English, Americans return to Zion, arise. Oh, okay. Uh, but uh, arise you know, misspelled. You, you, right. <laughs> you, you know what we did? We um, we printed up. I don't know where we got the money. I can't understand. Okay. We printed up at the end about at the end it was about forty thousand pins. Right. I once calculated the pins. One eight hundred my buttons. Some lady named Rebecca. I remember calling oh, that, her. Oh, that's who, that's yeah, that's who the made the pins. Said. No, no, no. <laughs> it's what, that's the where we got it. Okay. That's where we made pins. And we made them over and over again. We made pins, and I remember... I remember I, What they, they say? They said, I'm, I'm making Aliyah. My daughter has one of those. Right. I'm making Aliyah. Yeah. Not... I remember, th- I remember considering this. I'm not like, you should make Aliyah. We're making Aliyah. Is Aliyah making Aliyah? I'm making Aliyah. And right. I handed them out to people all over the place, everywhere we went. And, and we just, subways, people's events, pro-Israel events, and yeah. just got them. We started doing Kuma events at J2 Pizza Upstairs, talking about it. Everybody, basically, whoever went to J2 Pizza Upstairs with us at those meetings is here today in Israel. Really? Absolutely. And um, people tell me all the time, they were like, I went to J2, I met you there this night. Wow. Still to this day. So moving, you know what I mean? And that was activism. Right. We were activists. We, together with Ezra Levy, uh, we made a conference up in Canaan, New York. We made two conferences in Canaan, New York. Those were very moving conferences. How many people? Uh, maybe 100, 150 people, maybe. Wow. Uh, and, uh, and, but they were like, there was an energy. It was an incredible energy. And, uh, and, 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 and we weren't talking about being pro-Israel. We were talking about Aliyah yeah. to Israel. And, and, and I'll tell you the truth, my, my best friends in Israel today are people who are from that group and made Aliyah together with me, more or less, you know, uh, at a difference of a year or two. Right. But we all came together. And uh, I'll give you one more story, which is uh, one of my best friends is uh, Zev Ornstein from the City of David. And uh, Zev was the head of the Israel Club. I wrote a column. At, at YU. At YU, yeah. Okay. And I wrote a column at the commentator at YU. And I said, I listed, I'm like, I'm like, what, what? 
is the what's the problem with this university? We have career placement. Career placement at Yeshiva University, this Orthodox institution, is for America. So right. could it be that a young Orthodox Jew may want to go to the Holy Land? Could it be <laughs> that such a thing exists? Why don't we give him or her career placement in the Holy Land? Why only here? Like, give us a future. Give us a bridge. We don't want to stay here, maybe some of us. Like, like give, yeah. us, give us a pathway. So uh, Zev Warnstein read the article, went to the Jewish agency, said, I want a shaliach to come help with, with jobs in Israel every two weeks, and I'll make an office for him at Yeshiva University. Yeshiva University agreed. They got an office. And Zev Warnstein brought the shaliach to help with career placement in Israel. Wow. So he, today he's one of my best friends. Uh, and Alex Trem and Ari Abramowitz and, and many more folks yeah, yeah, that are yeah. doing great things. Yeah. And that was like just this, this thing. I wrote it. Somebody else, you know, I came up with the idea. Somebody else did it. And it was just like we, we, were, we were impacting. Now, Orthodox Jews, if you beat them over the head enough with, with Israel, they'll have to buy into it because it's just in orthodoxy. <laughs> you just have to talk about it. You just have to talk about it. That's all you have to do. It's, it's there if you are honest. So we did, we did that a lot. And that was the beginning of activism. And then there was something called the Internet. And uh, we put up, you know, this, uh, you know, the first kuma.org website. Just the other day, somebody told me, like, how they, how they would read it every day. And really? this blog post and everything. So Just, like, posts about inspiration. Posts about inspiration, about Aliyah, about Israel, and stuff like that. People, and you're still in New York at this point. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I went to Cardoza Law. Um, and at Cardoza Law, we kept up that stuff. Now we took it to another level, which I became also a birthright recruiter at Cardoza Law. And then this girl started the first pro-Israel uh, organization on campus called Chai, Cardoza Heightening Awareness for Israel. And her name happened to be uh, Melissa Bernath, but later on she would become to be Malka Fleischer. Right. And uh, Cardoza Law was Cardoza Law, learned a lot of interesting things there. Um... um but Kuma kept, kept pushing along. And then after the end of, uh, of uh, we, at this end of the second year of law school, we came here to this very town uh, to get married at the Maratha Machpelah, the Tomb of the Forefathers and Mothers in Hebron, uh, which was a story in its own right uh, about coming here in 2002 <laughs> when there was a second intifada. That's right. And it was a right real second intifada. It was a real second intifada. Yeah, yeah, Only yeah. a few months later, like 12 people would be murdered right over here. Yeah. It was a real thing. But we came and we had a wedding here. And they hadn't had weddings here in a long time. As we're recording this today, Goyle, there's a wedding being set up right now. You and I took a walk there and we saw yeah, the chuppah getting set up. So, you know, people told me that we had helped restart that atmosphere of getting married here at Maratha Machpelah. Uh, and then at the end of 2003, we finished law school. And we, Kodesh Baruch again, uh, 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 very overtly helped me get a job. My father had passed away, and my mom was on the phone with a fundraiser from Arutz Sheva, and he says to her, her, his name is Jonathan Bufti, and she says, he says to her, he says to her, Shenya, what's, what's wrong in your voice? She says, well, my, my husband passed away, and my son doesn't have a job, and we're looking for... And, and through that, found a job at Arutz Sheva, and, uh, and, and uh, basically... Uh, within six months of, of coming here, I was the head of the radio station. Right. And that's where I met you. Correct. Uh, the idea there was is to broadcast basically three messages, which is Aliyah, Judaism, uh, and, um, and kind of uh, 
Judaism as opposed to Christianity uh, for those folks. Who, Noahidism, basically. Yeah. Those were the three messages. Uh, and, uh, and temple consciousness. Right. And got 30 hours of volunteers, including yourself and uh, David, David Gancher, uh, and many other shows, many other fabulous shows. And people came in, and I would come to people like you and say, hey, um, you know you should be on Shlichus in America. You should be like doing Emerson, but I don't, you know, but you got a job and you got kids. So why don't you come once a week? Yeah, it's going to yeah, be a big yeah. pain in the butt for you, but you come and do Shlichus, and this thing will go out. And I used to say to people, like, when was the last time you spoke in front of a thousand people? Right? You got into a conference and you just spoke for in front of a thousand people every week. Come and do that. You'll get to do that, you know, and, and, and touch people's lives. And that was, that was Israel National. So we kept going with activism. We kept going with activism through Israel National Radio. Uh, and then that stopped after seven years. I moved from there for a while to, Jewish, to the Jewish press and a little bit of Nefesh Benefesh. Uh, and then another radio station called Voice of Israel, which was a very interesting story. Uh, but then finally, five years ago, we, we moved from Beit El to the Mount of Olives, right. where we lived as hardcore settlers. Um, <laughs> and um, I had from to make the, a decision. The, from the comfortable environs of Beit El. Well, Beit El, we lived in a beautiful right. caravan, but it was not like living in a, in a face-to-face t- you know, detention right. of the Mount That's of Olives. Right. Can't compare yeah. it. Can't yeah. compare it. Uh, and then, uh, and then, and then uh, lived there for seven years, which was awesome. Incredible holiness um, and challenge. And then got this job five years ago, uh, in it, working here for the Jewish community of Hebron. I, I took the position of the great David Wilder. This is the only Jewish city within a Palestinian Authority city, and uh, it has it has a lot of challenges, uh, where it's located and, and economic and and uh, and the fear factor and all kinds of stuff and a lot of be- I mean the number one besmirched place in Israel is Hebron. No number question. one by far. Yeah. Like that's yeah. the, the, the community and what we're doing here and our story is, is, is erased and besmirched to the point that UNESCO four years ago decided that this place was the, was the you know, uh, uh, the, the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs is actually a Palestinian world heritage site. Unbelievable. Endangered Unbelievable. by Israel. But, I, you know, even, even, as you, even as you mentioned something like that, which is... I don't know what the right word is. It's it's disgusting and it's ignorant and it's, it's not purposeful. Ignorant. It's not ignorant. And yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Right. Uh, it, whatever, purposeful. Whatever, I like yeah, that. Yeah. Whatever, whatever you want to attribute to it. But there's always a smile on your face. Why is there always a smile on your face? Well, it's two things there. One, it's a Russian thing. Okay. Russians have a way, like, there's, there's something about, like... There's I never see a Victor Lieberman smiling. Well, he, no, you should listen to him, <laughs> he, and you'll see he does smile. Yeah. He does do it. He's, when he starts ranking on bad things, he starts to... It's, it's a bit of a black humor. Okay. It's a dark humor, a little bit, where it's like when, you know, it's like, there's, like a, there's like a communist statement, the worse things are, the better they are, you know? And so, and so you know, it's like, it, there's something funny about it all, a little bit, and something dark funny about it, you know? Yeah. And uh, some people that I know that work in this business, business, that work in the, these efforts, they don't have a smile. And, and it, a, it hurts the, the message, because the message, the, the bottom line message of it all is, as, as Ofer Chaza said, chai, chai, chai. Like the real message is, I'm Israel chai. True. That's the real underlying message of the whole thing. And that our chai represents that God is chai. 
That's right. what that's what the thing is really about. So that makes you smile. Of course, we're 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 on a we're in a great time, and Hashem has decided that we have the schut to live in this time to help reveal His great mission and His great promise to Abraham, and and it's happening, and so that's high. Now, um, you know, there's a lot of bad guys out there. There's a lot of dark things. Not always do I smile. Like for example, you know, when they raped and murdered uh, Ori Ansbacher. I was in a very bad state for two weeks, and I couldn't believe the sissy response of our beloved country. Right. And so there are things that drive me absolutely, you know, so angry that, and I'm not even angry at the bad guys. I'm angry at our, at our lackadaisical response to things, what I now call, this week I call it tribalism versus liberalism, okay, where we have a liberal approach which is that, you know, there's individual criminals and that like, there's rights and blah, blah. And there's like no tribalism. But the other side is fighting with full-on tribalism. No question. You know what I mean? Full-on no religious tribalism. And, and we're fighting them with, with, with you know, with this, with this, well, we, you know, you know, this terrorist is on the floor, so we can't shoot him now dead. And all kinds of stuff, like all kinds of niceties, which, which you, know, you know, I'm sure I can hear people right now being like, no, that's the core of our strength and all kinds of stuff like that. So there's things that, 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 that hurt me. But I find that positivity, first thing, I think that like a chunk of my career is based on positivity. Like a chunk of what people understand what I do is bring a positive light to things. Um, and it's real. Of course it's real. You can't yeah. fake it. You can't fake that. Well, you and, can fake it. Well, you can't really fake it. You can, you can only fake it <laughs> to a point. You can't fake it. Some yeah, people I, I'm fake not it. A, I am, I'll tell you what, I'm not a good faker. That's, that's, that's just true. I'm just not a good faker in many, yeah. in many fields of life. Sometimes that hurts me. Um, uh, but I'm not, a, I'm not a... What you see is mostly what you get. So um, that's, that's, that's number one. Number two is just, I believe, like for example, the Arizal, Shalom, said that his great knowledge in Torah came from his effort to work on his simcha and his happiness, hmm. okay? And he sat by the Nile when he was in Egypt and would sit there for six days a week and make little fires and would work on simcha, work on joy. And that's where he said really channeled his knowledge of Torah. So, you know, simcha is, you know, a joy and a smile is a very important thing. Plus, it makes the enemies batty. You know, they, they, it, just, just, it just it undermines their confidence because smiling is a confidence. It's a confidence. I agree. It's a confidence in, 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 our, in our story, and it's a confidence that will overcome the problems. And when, whenever I do get down, which, are, which does happen from time to time, I have to philosophically and emotionally get myself back up, um, get my rest. You know, five days in a row of, of undersleeping will get you down. You know, so you got to get right. your rest. You know, got to go to have a good Shabbos, you know, meal and alechaim and and Shabbos nap, and, and you get back up and you're and you're uh, and you gotta you gotta get out there into the ring. Got to get out there into the ring, and it's a, it's a, it's a match out there. Let's uh, shift for a second. You have three kids. The oldest is how old? Thirteen. Okay. You left here when you were eight. Mm. Now you're a dad of three. Yeah. Raising I'm not your a dad. I'm an abba. Just want to make that clear. Okay. I tell my kids all the Great. time. I ain't no dad. I'm okay. an abba. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my, my wife thinks that's cr- I'm crazy. She's like, <laughs> no, no, she's hey. like, I said to her, I said to her, I did, yeah, I said to her, I'm not, I'm an abba. So okay? she's like, what's the difference? Yeah, she's like, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm with her on this one, but but that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Abba's a beautiful word. Yeah. Um, uh, so you're an abba of three, raising them here. Yeah. Um, first of all, what does that mean to you as someone who left here and then had the privilege and the merit to come back? Right. And second of all, what's life like in Israel for a dad of, sorry, for an Abba of three? Mm. Well, 
I, I think that... I and, think, and you've got Army right around the corner. Huh? Just a few years away. Army, Army around the corner for your oldest. Well, I, I hope that my daughter doesn't go to the Army. Oh, okay. I hope that she goes to okay. Shirt Lumi. Uh, I think national that's, service that's of National some kind. service. Sure. Um, uh, but, but, you know, my son, uh, I have two sons. Uh, I haven't thought so much about the Army thing so much for my boys. I haven't thought about that so much. Uh, but as, as, as you know, and I think, and I think you're a great model of that, you know, uh, being a family man is the most satisfying and the most important thing that we could do, really. And, and I must say that I put a, a whole chunk of my time into, into the kids. And, you know, I see that as a job. Or I think I read it in a success book one time. Like your family is your number one client. Right. You know, and so, so that's the way I treat it. And I and and then my circles. It's all everybody's like that. Meaning to say, the circles that I'm around, people understand that that, that raising the children is is so. It's very Jewish. It's it's very central, and and so that's that's the that's the big thing. And you know, you want to teach them. Uh, you know, I teach them Torah, but but the, and they and they get a lot of Zionism from just seeing uh, what they're schooling and also seeing what me and Malka do. Me and Malka continue to be both professional activists and activists even, you know, off the grid. You know, Malka and I are, uh, uh, you know, kind of nutty Twitterers, you know, and, and we're always on, you know, fighting yeah. something on Twitter. Yeah. And, and they see that. The kids see that. And what can I tell you? Raising kids here is very sweet. Um, I'm raising them in a frat, which is good in some ways, some, some, very, some very good in some ways, but in other ways I don't like it. Because I don't think it's raw enough or tough enough, and what does that mean? Well, it's 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 a very it's a very suburban sweet bubble, and and I respect that, but I find it to be uh, not gritty enough for them to see what what you know what life is really like there, uh, what what life is really like out there, and and to be trained in toughness. Uh, toughness is not a natural occurring emotion and phenomena. It's something that you have to train for. Uh, it's something that you have to train for and you have to have experiences. David Melech says when he comes up to, to Goliath, so they're like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I fought the bear and I fought the lion. Why does he say that? You know, and there's spiritual answers. But the simple, I, like, I've, I've, I've dealt with things similar. I have experience. I'm an experienced sure. fighter. Um, and, and so on the Mount of Olives... There's, there's actually a piece by Malcolm Gladwell about how David Melech was the perfect... Right. Perfect opponent. I've read that many times. Uh, it is a very fascinating yeah, tale. Yeah. It is a very fascinating tale uh, of how he spins it. That yeah. that 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 part is awesome. Malcolm <laughs> really he really puts it out there and uh, and 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 basically kind of also shows the Israeli ethos of being fast uh, and being mobile and right. and striking and striking yeah. uh, uh, from from a distance and you know uh, being a, being a, being a shooter. Um, it's, it's an awesome, it's an awesome way that he weaves it. Yeah. Um, uh, raising kids, a lot of love. Um, are they Americans or are they totally Israelis? No, they're not totally Israelis. No, they definitely have. It also depends on the mom. You know, their sure. mom is an American Texan. Um, not the Ima, the mom. She, the the, the Ima, <laughs> Mammy, as we call her. Okay, uh, she, you know, and and my wife is a. On the one hand, she is an American Texan person, and I always say Texans make great settlers. Uh, but she's also Hungarian, and I'm really Polish Russian, so it's a mixed marriage, right. uh, really. And and we were always, I'm always laughing about that. There's, Wait, the Hungarianness comes through? Oh my God! 
let me tell you something about Hungarians. They will outgene you, okay? They, they may not run away from the Nazis when the Nazis are coming, but they know that whatever survives, their genetics will be stronger than anybody else's genetics. They, are, they have a very strong, their thing is very strong. I've come to learn. Uh, no, the, the Hungarian, we, we make a lot of jokes about this at home. It's like a whole topic of, of yeah. humor for, for me. But, uh, uh, you know, um, no, they have quite a bit of, 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 of English and quite a bit of, when I grew up, I thought that my parents were Russian. But what I didn't understand was that they weren't Russian at all. They were Russian Jewish. Right. Which means the Russian Jewish experience, which is not Russia. It's how the Jews experienced Russia and how they dealt with it, which is a very different thing. Much higher, much, much deeper intellectualism, and it's just a different level. It's, 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 like, it's like, you know, Jews are like everybody else, only more so. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. It's, and so they get, a, what, what does it mean are they American? Do they have some of the great things that we think America has to give to the world? Yes. Do they have like what America is today? Far from it. Sure. They're not, they're not there at all. You know, except that my son Israel loves monster trucks. Okay, really? that that is he's five, but like That's monster fantastic. trucks. I'm thinking on this trip now to America to take him to some kind of, you know, some kind of you know monster truck thing. <laughs> you know, because you know. So it's funny because when I was a kid in America, that was really what I was attracted to, also, uh, wow. which was motorsports. Okay, motorsports. I used to be one of those kids. I used to stay up at like two o'clock in the morning to watch Formula One from like. Like from Spain. Italy, or yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> These places. So, anyway, um, but but look, they have English. They understand English. Um, American. I don't know if the word American is right. What, what is America? You know, to me, America is the best part of America is liberty, freedoms, um, a big vision, uh, a distrust of government. Mm -hmm. Those are the best things about America. I think they have some of those things. Yeah. Just like I, th I'm, I'm, I've never, I've, I've been in Russian aggregate of like five days in my life, but, uh, but I, I'm proudly, I think of myself as proudly coming from Russian Jews. Yeah. I think that they will be proudly coming from American Jews. Let's remember also, Efrat. It's is, all around them. Yeah, it's it's like forty percent Anglo, which um, is actually pretty good as Anglo communities go. Right. Efrat's pretty mixed. Yes. No. No. There's plenty of Israeliness. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. plenty of Israeli. But interestingly enough, every Israeli. Every Likud voting Sephardi Israeli is cool with Americans. They speak American. They they spent two years in Florida. They you know they they're just they're just cool with Anglo's. Because if you're an Israeli who's not cool with Anglo's, you're not going to live in a frat. You're just not going to want that. So right. you're, they're they're right. cool with it. They're like to them it's not a icky annoying you know rah 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 sound. They 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 think of them as as good people who who run a, a nice town. But for us, a frat has been a blessing. But I don't think, I, I know that it's not our final destination. Hmm. Uh, and so it's been, it's been a few years of living close to my brother, who's an Efrat, and it's been close to my mother, God bless her. Uh, and it's been great education, great medicine, there's a lot of things, but it's not, um, it doesn't satisfy uh, parts of the soul that just, that just call out. Right, right. Okay, we're going to shift gears now. Some rapid fire questions, okay. some of which are fun, kind of silly even, but... I've learned you never know what's going to come uh, from, from these kinds of questions. So here we go. In the Fleischer house, Kedem grape juice or Israeli grape juice? Israeli grape juice. That, that has been a discussion. Um, uh, but, but, but let's put it this way. Israeli grape juice for sure. 
but if Kerem grape juice comes around for some reason, yeah. which is rare, we give it the love. Really? And it's like, let's honor this, our sisters and brothers in America, our Jewish sisters and brothers, who make... I've actually been to the Kerem Farms in Marlboro, New York, with my father. So I've seen Hasidim on tractors, you know. So if grape, Kerem grape juice... And that comes part of my real, new realization with America. It's like, I send my love to you guys. God, yeah. Like, God bless you. Yes, I will drink this and say, L'chaim here in Eretz Yisrael. And I, and, I, and I think of you fondly, and I think of you with love, my, my brothers in America. But generally, of course, Israeli uh, grape juice. So too, by the way, Israeli watch. I'm very proud of this. Adi That's watch. Israeli watch. Yes, an Adi watch that I wear. And, and my uh, a brand new uh, Israeli pistol that I'm proud of, which is a, 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 um, a copy of, of a Glock 17, but now made in Israel, better than a Glock 17. And, and, and I do my best that if I can... I'm blue and white. I fly El Al proudly, and I tell people I love El Al. I don't give El Al any guff. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan. And so if, if I can, yes. But if I have to fly United, b'simcha. And if I have to have, a, you know, Jewish-American grape juice, ahan osal b'simcha, and I, and I send you my blessing. <laughs> so that leads to the next question, which is Heinz or Israeli, grape, uh, Israeli uh, ketchup? Ooh, you know, um, there's, there's different levels of Israeli ketchup. But I think we do have Heinz. I think yeah. we do have Heinz. Um, although ketchup has a lot of sugar, and so I'm less in the in the in the in that space of ketchup these days. More mustard and stuff like that. Uh, but you know, you know, Israel Israel's got America's got a lot of food, but Israel's got <laughs> yes, but Israel's got great food. And I and I um, I eat food in America, but not with a lot of gusto on these trips. And I have steak. People take me out to steak. That's the thing. Yeah. Uh, but generally speaking, I prefer my wife's food, um, and uh, and I'm not a big foodie. Okay. Like food is not like a big thing I think about. I don't. I, I use it more for fuel, but um, yeah. uh, I, I like food like anybody else. But like that's not like a thing in my mind. Well, I, 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 I have two more food questions. Go ahead. So let's just get them out of the way yeah. and move on to the bigger stuff. Sure. Your favorite Israeli food? My, my wife just made Shabbat tacos. We make Tex-Mex. Friday night, Shabbat. We call Shabbatos. I'm saying, so I don't know what you mean. Like we eat Shabbatos. What's an Israeli food? Well, I have I have uh, sunny side eggs in the morning with salad. What do you, What do you mean by Israeli food? Shawarma, well, like, like yeah, what? shawarma, falafel, shakshuka, like like crembo. No, I don't need crembo. I don't need like very sugary beastly. things. Beastly also is like today is a carb that I try to stay away from. So but, you're not uh, so into Israeli food. I eat shawarma and falafel. I'm not so into food. Like yeah. I, I I eat food. I like food, but I'm not. I don't. It's not like a thing right, I think about. I have a friend yeah. who, like, when you ask him, like, well, how's Vienna? He's like, Vienna's great. There's a restaurant here. There's a restaurant. <laughs> he's, like, he's like what Napoleon said about the army. You know, the army marches on its stomach. That's how he right. travels the world. You know, so, so I, you, you know, food. I like tomatoes. You know what I mean? I like salad. Uh, you know, and I like, I like, I like, I like Israeli. I like barbecuing Israeli style. That's for sure. I barbecue. We barbecue a lot. Israeli tomatoes. I like tomatoes. Unbelievable. I like I like salad. Truth for the matter, me and 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 my children, we and my sister, we like salad a lot. Yeah. So salad is Israeli salad. I eat American vegetables. They're also fine. Again, I'm not here. I, I I've stopped being like this is good here. When I'm there, I go mmm. <laughs> you know, I try to bless things. I try not to be uptight and judgmental anymore. I try, but but of course the homeland, you know the air. Look. Israeli beer, Shapira beer. I like I like beer. I'm a beer drinker. I like beer. Okay. And Shapira is uh, is uh, and other beers are great. Israelis make great beer today. Okay. okay. I'm allergic to wine a little bit, so I don't drink wine. Right. But but Israeli beer is fabulous, and it makes my day. Yeah. Have 
it's a little bit of an unfair question given your background, but do you do do you try to do the Israeli Hebrew accent or do you just do whatever comes naturally? Yes for Israeli accent, yes for working on it. I do believe in working on it. Uh, but I also believe very much in not being self-conscious about it. Totally. Uh, like, yes, try to learn Hebrew well. Yes, try to get uh, realize... First thing I have in my mouth, three different R's. Ruske. It's R, like R. Almost and then like there's... A D in, like a D involved with it. Well, I don't mm. know. It's, it's, we would say in Hebrew, Reish, but... but um, From the front of the mouth. Right. And then there is R, that's in the mid. And then there's R, which is Israel. From the back. Uh, which is back. It's tricky. Listen, the R is a tough one. <laughs> it is a it is a real doozy, you know what I mean, Art. Um, and I did struggle for a long time at trying to regain my Israeli identity. Yeah. And yes, it did hurt me that I developed an American R or a slight accent in my Hebrew. Yes, it did. But with time, and even not so unrecently, meaning to say, relatively recently, I've come to say, I've come to understand that your accent is also your um, advantage, your calling card, it's the respect. You came, you're here. And so, and so on the one hand, study it. And Malk and I always give a recommendation. There's, we recommend watching movies in Hebrew with subtitles and then turning the subtitles off after you watch it three times and then watching it again and learning the phrases, learning Hebrew. Army helps with that as well. Working in a semi-Hebrew environment like here or half-Hebrew environment like here helps. Um, uh, but don't get hung up on it. Like, don't develop a hang-up and a self, uh, what's it called, self-doubt. Self-consciousness. Self-consciousness. Like, don't do that. Go with it. Just go with what you got. People respect that. What's been better than you expected here? It's a hard question for me because I, I, like, I don't, I expect the very best from, from, from my country here. So, so I don't, I don't know... You know what I mean? Let me say, if you said to me what's worse than I expected, then it's a little bit easier. That's the next question, right? Go but for like, it. but like, what's what's, you know, what what's worse than expected right now is like I feel that our system needs an overhaul, our government system. I'm disappointed the fact that we have a system that is not well thought out and it keeps like clunking along. You know what I mean? And it's it, our whole government system. There's you know, never been a government that's made it to the end of the term. Right, and the That's whole thing, it's a problem. The whole thing is a problem. So many, this non-representational, you know, democracy uh, is a problem. And, uh, for example, that Supreme Court has no standing and no standing rules. It's just absurdity. And just, I can judge anything. Everything is justiciable. It's craziness. They could overcome any, you know, Knesset law. And there's a lot of stuff like that, and that 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 stuff is frustrating. The the smallness, you know, of 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 the way, you know, the police here, you know, the the police doesn't have that same gravitas that an American, at least New York police does. I've been to places in America where it's not quite like that. Yeah, yeah I've been to places where it's like, whoa, 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 this guy, he doesn't think that he's got any rules at all here. But in, in New York City, at least under the Giuliani regime, there was a, you know, there was a real weight to the police officer and there was a professionalism sure. uh, that you trusted. Uh, and coming from America, you know, that's, you know, a country that's really well worked out. So here it's not as well worked out. I mean, it's important to travel the rest of the world because you realize that a lot of the rest of the world is not as well worked out. You know right. what I mean? Um, um, 
you know, here also, frankly, you know, making a good living for for what I do is not as easy. If I was in America in my the positions that I've that I've had, you know, uh, managing radio stations or whatever it is, it's uh, or or here being a spokesman, they're you know well paid positions. Uh, here, you know, making a, a a really good living and not and not not at all struggling. You know, in America, you can't, and it says it in the Torah about Egypt. It's like, you do a little bit, and the water comes, and the things grow. You know, I see, you know, I have friends who, you know, manage uh, phone stores, and they could buy houses and, uh, and whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, you know, so, so that's, that's, that's a hardship. I mean, but you have to accept that partially with faith in Hashem, that he's in charge of Parnassah, uh, but also partially with some frustration that, that, that our state is not set up like America for you to you know, just do well, you know, and, and doing well means that you have less nerves and that you can, you know, dedicate more time to, to Torah learning or whatever it is. So, so those are some of the, some of the, you know, disappointments. I guess the one thing that I could say is actually better than I expected is the amount of cool stuff you could do with your kids. Like the amount of adventures you can have here, the amount of unstoppable different waters and right. things that you could do in beautiful places. Um, and I've been very, very appreciative of my daughter's education so far. And I, I, it is very moving how teachers give themselves to the, to the young people here. Um, um, I, think, I think that's been very touching to me. And, and uh, we just, you, you live, a, at the end of the day, you, you asked me about children before, you live a much more holistic life with them because the Torah the land and the life are all one. That's so if right. the parsha says, you know, like this week's parsha, it said, you know, uh, you know, and they and they, you know, they captured Ogan the Bashan. Well, where's the Bashan? Well, that's the Golan. Oh, that, you know, that, oh, he was a giant. Oh, there's the there's the Hermon. It's a giant mountain. Oh, it makes sense. Oh, he went up. They went up this way, and this is where they captured. And this is where we live. We were just there there last week or something. Not to mention where we're sitting right now. Right, we're sitting right now. <laughs> certainly, Chevron. It's it, and it's all very holistic. There's yeah. no bifurcation. You're living what you believe, what you believe is taught in school, what you did taught in school is what it says in the Torah, what it says in the Torah, you can go to a Haredi uh, uh, shul or, or, or a religious Zionist shul, or, and people believe that, you go to another person's house, they believe that, and, and the town will celebrate Zionist holidays, and the, you know, so the town keeps Shabbat, so the whole thing is reinforced constantly, you're never li living a very bifurcated life where it's like, well we believe this, but we're not going there, and the other people around us don't really believe it. So there's, there's, a, there's a wholeness in the whole thing. And that's, P.S. In, in parentheses, that's where our enemies are so dumb. Okay, because they don't understand that we don't see ourselves as occupiers. Right. We see ourselves as deeply indigenous. Frankly, we see them as occupiers. Okay, <laughs> and we see ourselves as deeply indigenous in this land. Deeply connected to everything. And to us, it's all holistic. The earth below the society on the earth following the Torah and the God above. It's all one. It's all one thing. And that is deeply satisfying, I think. Um, so that is what I found. Here in Israel, when you go on vacation, you don't escape your Torah life. The opposite. It's like, let's go see this thing in this Parsha. For sure. Let's go, let's go deepen our connection to another thing. So there's depth. And... and uh, with my with my mom here now, who's like an uber intellectual, is always, you know, we're taking always Temple Mount classes, and my mom goes to the Temple Mount every, you know, every week, and my brother is always finding a new Mayan, and my sister's at the, what do you call it, at the um, at the Weizmann and in the high tech world of right. chemistry. So, 
it's all it's all reinforcing constantly, and that that's 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 the depth and the greatness of this time and this place. When you this is not one of the rapid fire questions, but it's an obvious question based on what you just mentioned. When you came back here in 2003, did you anticipate the rest of your family was going to join you here someday? Or is that yeah, a pleasant so. surprise? Yeah, right? no, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think Quite a gift. When my, when my, yeah, when my father passed away uh, in New York City, I said to my mom, like, just a little bit after he died, I'm talking about like 15 minutes after. Oh, okay. I said to her, listen, <laughs> we got to take him to Eretz Yisrael. And she said to me, of course. Wow. So, so he was he was on he made Aliyah, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, and they say by the way, there's not one El Al airplane that doesn't carry a body. Unbelievable. Uh, so, so well, let's put it this way: had I not come, maybe they wouldn't have come. Okay. But once I once I came here, I think it pulled the family in, and it was for them, it was only natural. <laughs> right. Um, what about life in Israel brings tears to your eyes oh. in, a, in a good way. Oh, my gosh. Happens all the time. Yeah? Oh, my gosh. So, so give me a recent example. Oh, it's, 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 a, it's a constant thing. <laughs> it's, it happens all the time. I have to hold back my tears all the time. Seriously. No joke. It's, uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I was at a Brit Milah today at Marat HaMachpelah. <laughs> it happens to be that my, my boss, the director general of, of this town, it was his grandson. And his mother said to me, he came up to me, she said, I have 20 great-grandchildren. She says, but I only gave birth to two children. Wow. Okay, so, I mean, you're like, oh, you know. Uh, you know, um, you know that's, that's, you know, and then today you got to see that, like, a sign that I worked on got placed on Maratha Machpelah. That's not a small thing to yeah. feel like you're, like, walking around, you're like, hey, I did that, you know. But then... Um, I don't know, Shavuos. Gosh, Shavuos in the morning, I always cry. Uh, Hoshana Rab in the morning, I always like, what? You know, it's, it's, it's powerful stuff. And then, you know, sometimes the whole thing is, is deeply moving. The whole thing. Sometimes, sometimes something touches you a little bit more. A song on the radio, you know, or something like that. Um, I, my, 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 I, 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 it was public, so I, I don't usually choke up in like public stuff, but like... Like, uh, my, my son, uh, Yisrael, just got his chumash uh, in kindergarten, a real chumash, and he got a little yad, and he's on Shabbos, you know. Uh, there's there's tons of stuff like that. There's, the country is filled with those moments. They're not kitschy. They're real. Um, and then there are times, like, you know, for example, also, you know what I do on Yom, Yom HaZikaron, Israel Memorial Day? I just listen to radio. And watch TV. I don't talk with anybody. I don't want to see anybody. Wow. I watch TV, and it it's a it's a it's a ripper. It rips you up inside. The stories of the self sacrifice and the the horrible stories, and the pain and the pain and that stuff just that stuff just tears you up inside. But but that's part of also the 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 self sacrifice, the the, uh, the 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 giving that we have for this great project. Right. Right. Um. Any pet peeves about uh, life in Israel? You know, I, I have a whole comedy routine on that about the, <laughs> yeah, you know, about the, uh, the, uh, the. Uh, <laughs> there's some small toilets, and, and you open the door in instead of out, and then you have to you have to kind of scooch around the toilet to be able to close the door. You know, um, listen, I'll tell you a pet peeve that's real is that is that uh, I think the drive the. 
let, let, just a prelude to that. You know, the Torah tells us if you kill inadvertently, you have to run to one of the cities of refuge, the Irmiklat. Well, you know, we don't have an Irmiklat, and do we really have this business? Well, we kill about 500 people a year on the roads. Right. And the driving culture is a pet peeve. I, I don't understand why we should be killing each other uh, on the roads. There's no reason for people to be driving so close to you, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's a psychological lack of calm that is on the roads. And uh, that's a pet peeve. That should not, we should not be killing each other on the roads. Uh, pet peeve is garbage. Pet peeve is, uh, is how we do not treat our land with, uh, with great respect on many levels. Uh, a biggest pet peeve of them all is that we give away our land to our enemies. That's not like, like don't, don't, don't like think that that's like political. My life I, I, is, is I see our land being taken away from us by the Philistines and people who take away our land and our government allowing these things to happen. I see Judea falling to Philistia and that stuff breaks me up every day and I, and I, and I, that's a pet peeve. Like, that's a pet peeve. Uh, our westernized, Hellenistic, uh, 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 liberal uh, attitude uh, in the face of, of a super tribal jihadist attitude and I don't think that all Arabs are that and I'm not saying that but there's quite a few and there's certainly a force of that against us uh, and so that's a pet peeve that, that, you know what I mean uh, giving away the Sinai giving away the Gaza Strip Malk and I were literally fighting the giveaway of the Gaza Strip and guess what everything we said was totally right yeah. we were right we were right and, 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 and people say to me well, what would you do about Gaza now? I go, you know, before you ask me what I do now, just like, just, just don't make stupid mistakes. That's what happens. You pay for it for, for 40 you, you, years. You refer to it as unforced errors by the state. Yeah, unforced errors. That's right. It's unforced errors. Exactly right. And, and it, that, that hurts. So there's, the thing is about the pet peeves in Israel is they hurt even more. Because when our country, when our beloved Israel, and that's what I usually say, by the way. I don't see, I, people say this country. I never say that. I always go, when our beloved country, or when our country... By the way, that's my one of my lessons to uh, new olim. Never say, you Israelis. You want to piss off an Israeli? Say, you Israelis. Just say, we Israelis. Then you can say whatever you want. Right. Right. We do this and that. That's just, we Israelis, our beloved land, and our beloved country, when it makes unforced errors, it hurts a lot, because we are, we are trying so hard. And we're small. And we're small. We're trying to come back home. We got and we smaller ourselves. We smallify ourselves. We become a much smaller country. When I see the big Israel after six day war, that's one of my you know that's when the I show smile. Far. That's when I smile. Nice, yeah, a big yeah, Israel. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's what I like to see. I don't like to see no weenie Israel. You know, uh, and so that hurts. I went to the to the new. Uh, uh, the new diaspora museum called Anu, and every map of theirs has no Judea and Samaria. Well, it's appalling to me. It's appalling. And, 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 uh, and Gaza, and we were there, and we saw what happened, and we're still living that nightmare. So, you know, I saw the, I saw, I saw, I've seen Israel grow economically and militarily, but shrink physically. Gave away the Sinai in, in, my, in my lifetime. Gave away Gaza. Gave away parts of Judea and Samaria. Temple Mount's not really in our hands. Uh, Tomb of Joseph is not in our hands. That's all been, you know, in my lifetime, and that has been to me a very, a very negative marker. So that's that's the biggest pet peeve of them all. Yeah, I would I would not even put that in the category of pet peeve. Right, that's uh, a, <laughs> but that's but that's what really it's hurts. A big deal. That's a, that's it's what a really deal. hurts. Two more questions, and then I'm going to let you go. Um, number one is Aliyah for everyone. Everyone is who? Every Jews. Jew. Yeah. Every Jews. Aliyah is for everyone. 
will everyone make Aliyah? Probably not. You know, uh, Eretz Yisrael can hold all the Jewish people. That's for sure. Um, but I've uh, Let's put it this way, we welcome everybody on Aliyah. Okay? We, 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 we put out the red carpet for you. We welcome you. And if the boot of anti-Semitism kicks you out of there, you're always welcome here. That's not the reason, but you should know that we, one of the rationales of Israel is a safe haven. Okay? We want to be more than a safe haven. We want to be you know, the, the light to the nations, Jerusalem. We want to be an amazing country. We want you to come here and, and, and have a great economic and family and et cetera and religious time. Uh, Aliyah can be for everyone. Uh, I believe that Hashem wants us to be ingathered. Uh, but at the same time, I don't treat people anymore as something that I need to missionize. Okay? I don't treat a person as a thing that he needs to convert to my thing in order to be a valuable and good human being and a good Jew. Yeah. Okay? I, just, I come to a person, I want to bless them. I want to strengthen their connection to something that I believe that they want to be connected to. And certainly, like he knows, she knows, that Aliyah is something that I believe in. And if they say, and if they tell me I'm making Aliyah, I'll be, I'll be the first person to, to, to congratulate them, to help them and all that. But I will not um, beat them over the head like a missionary. Uh, with like that, I need, I need, I'm lesser of a person because I need you to make Aliyah. When you make Aliyah, that, that fulfills me. No, no, no. You are invited. But if you don't come, come. I always tell them, take a step. What's your step? Is it to buy wine from the land of Israel and drink it Friday night? Is it to buy apartment in Israel? I tell everybody today, buy them. It's smart money. It's good for you. You'll, it's halakhically good for you. It's good. Send your kids to summer camp. Uh, send your kids for the year. Uh, put up a picture of something that you love in Israel in your house. Like, take a step, you know? And I urge people's connection. Uh, and, they, and they know where my stance is on Aliyah, but I don't, I don't as much need to... I've learned that I want to help them drop walls that separate us as opposed to put up walls that separate us. Right. So if I come smashing through the, through the wall uh, uh, you know, on Aliyah, so, so people are defensive. But if I say to them, hey, buy an apartment, smart money, it's good for you, you'll love it. They see that I'm actually opening up a channel for them. Um, and so, and so, is Aliyah for everyone? Absolutely. But that's not even mine to say. Hashem says it in the prophecies. Uh, you know that I'll gather all of you. Yeah. Uh, but but that's a prophecy in terms of interpersonal. Um, and then if somebody says to me, you know, I'm thinking Aliyah, I'm gonna you know go go full Monty on them. But <laughs> but 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 go biblical on them. But 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 if a, but if a person I've learned that I come into a shul. I bless those people. I bless their shul. I bless their rabbi. I bless their mikvah. And I channel. I became, instead of being a person who goes out to America and has a tzarut ayin, you know, has, has a negative, like, oh, look, yeah, at, this. Like a look chip at this on material. Your yeah, look at this materialism. Look at this. Like, it's no good. It, it's not good for me because I become a dark person, the, the dark Spider-Man suit <laughs> and, and, and the black suit. And, and it's not good for them because they don't feel the love. So I've become, gonna, I'm, become, I, I'm like Ishai. You're yeah. a channel for positivity. Yeah. That's what you got to do. So when they come into a place, I no longer like, I channel happiness to them and, 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 and the, the blessings of Eretz Israel. That's what I say. Call it, I, my tagline for Israel is the land of blessings. So it's blessings from the land of blessings. That's what, I, that's what I send them. So is Aliyah for everybody? Absolutely. Will everybody do it? No. However it is, stay connected and be part of the story. Last question. What's your magnet? What I mean by that is, uh, theoretical 
figurative magnet on your refrigerator that no matter what happens through thick and thin, you look at that and you're like, that's right. That's why I'm doing this. Well, first thing I have magnets that I've made. <laughs> My magnet says, Dear America, thank you and shalom. We have to go home now, the Jews. Okay, that's a, that's a magnet that I've made and a lot of people still love that magnet. It's great. Uh, I think my magnet is a one-on-one relationship with Hashem. That's my magnet. My magnet is no matter what and no matter who and no matter what happens, like you've got to have a, a personal relationship with Hashem. And that's what gives you strength. Not society, not your rabbi, not your wife and your kids. At the end of the end, you've got to have a personal connection to Hashem. And if you have a personal connection to Hashem, He will guide you through, through everything, and you'll you'll know what to do in life and how to get through this world. That's that's the magnet at the end. Uh, without without that, you are tossed, tossed and tussled. You are you are thrown around in the waves of of uh, of of this this world's uh, uh, vicissitudes. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a crazy world out there. And if you don't have a personal connection to Hashem, you're lost. If you have a personal connection to Hashem, no matter where you are, no matter what situation you're in, you can turn to Him, you can speak to Him, and, and He will help you. I, I have to say that Rabbi Nachman, I myself, by the way, identify myself as Chabakuk, which is Chabad, Breslov, Karlbach, Kahana, Cook. Okay? okay. So, okay. The, the, you know, and there's a few, and I was thinking about that just the other day. I was like, I was like oh, where's the Benish Chai in that? You know what I mean? Where's my Sparty side, you know? Uh, so I'm not, I wasn't even having, happy with, with Chabakuk. Uh, <laughs> but like, uh, but I, I think that, what, that, you know, a sense of Shlichus, which is something the Lubavitcher Rebbe taught us, taught me personally, and taught all of us, I think, many of us in any case. Uh, but Rabbi Nachman taught us about uh, personal connection to Hashem. And that personal connection to Hashem leads you towards Kedusha, towards Yerushalayim, towards the Temple Mount, towards Eretz Yisrael. It's just, that's, that's a natural connection. If you start putting on tefillin, you, you pray in a real way. Not, by the way, as a way that's like, I pray to you, God, because I need something from you, but like, I serve you. I'm actually, I have to daven now, not because I need you to hear me this morning, but because, you, because I owe you this service. Yeah. I am a ministering angel to you. I serve you, Hashem. Once you get that in your head, that I serve you, Hashem, I need to do things in this world to make you, Hashem, uh, uh, give you nachat, give you nachas, uh, you know, and, and, that, and that I have a personal connection to you, that, that'll lead you, that will lead you to in, in good paths. Without that, you're lost. Yishai Fleischer, this has been great. Thank you so much for your time. Great to be with you, Goal. Keep up the good work, and uh, uh, may your voice and your spirit continue to soar through uh, this technology and more people hear you. And do a Kiddush Hashem, and, and may people also, um, uh, you know, get the waves that you're sending out, and that'll bring them in. I mean, return again. <laughs>